thank the choirs for leading us in the worship. Amen. We thank the Holy Spirit for his presence being here. If you have your Bibles with you, we are continuing on with the series that we have been dealing with for the last couple of weeks. Um, we took a two weeks where we was interrupted, uh, had to do other things, uh, but we are dealing with reclaiming, recapturing God's design and purpose for marriage, for family, for your life. Today we are still working out of Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to deal with verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I will read in your, heal, in your hearing verse 25, but we'll deal with that next week. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. If you're able, can you please stand for the reading of God's word? And the reason as such in our hearing. Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 24, and it says, Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Amen. Becoming one. God making two one. Becoming one. One, or God taking two and making one. Father, even now, Father, I stand in my weakness. I stand in my inadequacy. I stand in my inability. But, Lord, I pray that even through my brokenness, that you pour your spirit. I pray that you would just so saturate this place, that you would give us listening ears, even if we don't want to hear, we would hear. Father, I pray that you increase the anointing on me, that I may speak to your people, and that they may know without a shadow of a doubt, it's not coming from me, but it's coming from you. Father, open up our eyes that we may see like we have never seen before. But we may understand like we have never understood before. But let us see your plan. Let us see your blueprint. Let us see your pattern. That we may correct. That we may improve. That we may change. Father, even now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How does God take two people and make them one? What is the process of God binding people, not just even physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that by the time they get to the physical part, they are already one? 
How is it that God can take two people from two different backgrounds, from, from two different experiences, a man that is from Mars, a woman that is from Venus, and that simply means that we are different, and bind them in such a way that they can go through hell and high water and still stay together? I think today that we are in a time and a season that we need to know God's method because when divorce rate is over 50%, even in the church house, then we're missing something, don't you think? Apparently, we ourselves and in ourselves don't know how to do this because we're messing it up. It's funny that you can buy glue, and, and there can be a glue that has two parts to it. And unless you mix the two parts together, it does not have a sticking, adhesing ability. And I believe today that when we move God's process, God's pattern out of position, that something happens to the bonding process that enables a man and a woman to stay together even through the high times and low times. So I think that as we look into the Word that we will see some things. Listen to how he speaks to, about a man and a woman. He said, so shall a man leave. Now, notice that he leaves the covering of his mom and dad, but he leaves because now he is man enough. He is grown enough. He is equipped enough. He is, he is, he is, he is covered enough by God that now he no longer needs the covering of mom and dad. And he cleaves to his wife. Cleaving is a word which represents a heesement, that he cleaves to her. It is the closest of all relationship. The marriage between a man and a woman is all to be closer than the, than the relationship between a father and daughter. Oh, uh, y'all don't hear me? The relationship between a man and a woman from a biblical aspect is ought to be closer than a mother and her children. Uh-oh. That means that in your marriage that your husband ought to come before your father or your mother. Uh-oh. That means that, means that your wife ought to come before your mother or your daddy. Uh-oh. That means that your husband or your wife ought to come before your children. Double uh-oh. See, because when you put these things out of sequence, the adhesion process that should take place doesn't take place, and resentment sets up in the marriage. Whenever you even put your children before your mate, there's some jealousy goes on, and then maybe. And when you move children out of their place, your children will play you. Your children know that mom and dad is not acting in unity, and they will go to one, ask something, and if they don't get the answer they want, they will go to the other. And before you know it, y'all fussing when y'all shouldn't be fussing over what little Johnny or little, little, little Shabika did. Y'all know y'all name y'all children stuff like that. 
I don't even know why y'all even laughing. I have to break it up to current day. We miss this thing. Daughter's still going to daddy. Son's still hanging on to mama's apron. And within that marriage, there's more than the two of them trying to heave together. There's other folks. There's, there's, don't let nobody get in your mess. Unless it's somebody that is spiritual that's not going to take either one of your sides but is going to show you God's word. Y'all ain't going to like me today, but that's okay. That's okay. Cleaving is a word that, that represents that there is a spiritual connection. There is a mental connection there is an emotional connection even before you get a physical connection. You can't tell me that you can sleep with your bow on the second date and think that everything's going to be okay when you get married. Uh-oh. We already established the fact in Malachi chapter 2 that God says that this is a covenant agreement. Whenever you say your vows, you are saying it not just to each other, but you're saying it to God. You know what God says about vows? He said it's best to keep a bad vow than not keep it at all. Because what God says is that when you open up your mouth to me, I'm listening. And when you vow something to me, I heard you. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes divorce is necessary because there's something that the Bible calls spiritual death happens in the other person. But, but, but make sure you're not the one that's spiritually dead. These are Chinese finger traps. I have placed my fingers and they are touching on the inside, which represents what happens in a spiritual, in a mental, in an emotional relationship before there is sexual intercourse. Then when you have sexual intercourse, there is a sealing that happens. It is Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, that right in the middle of their honeymoon, while they are in the midst of God speaks and says, drink abundantly of one another. What is God doing? God is making the two of them one. Notice that when I try to pull my fingers out, I can't get my fingers out. What has happened is that the material that, that, that this is made out of is weaved. And when I press my fingers together, the material gathered around my finger. And now as I pull, it tightens up on my finger. I pause and let you think about that. 
What happens in marriage is, whether you know it or not, God causes there to be an adhesing, a bonding that takes place. Even when you get it out of order, there's still some bonding that takes place. And when you try to pull apart, that all of a sudden, it's not as easy as you think. It is. Some of you think that if you marry somebody, you just go get a divorce. But I want you to know divorce isn't that easy. There is something that is keeping my fingers together. There's a bonding that is happening. The material is happening. And whenever you connect with somebody, there's a connection that is permanent. Now, I can apply pressure. And right now, I hear it popping. But the problem is there is a tearing that is going on. There is... Everybody who's been divorced know that this is true. Any child of divorce know that this is true. My brothers and sisters, this is why God says I hate divorce. So before we get married, we best know what we... And even if we are married, we need to go back to the Bible and find out what the Bible says about it. It's this cleaving. What does it mean to be mentally connected together? Let's, let's run through this quickly. What does it mean? That means then that what I had one teacher who told me this. He said, me and my wife read the same books. He says, I don't like the book she reads, but I read it anyway. So that after I read it, we can talk about it. He says, then I give her the book that I'm reading. She don't particularly like the book that I'm reading. But guess what? She reads it not because she wants to get into the book, but she reads it because she wants to get into his thinking. There has to be communication in the relationship. I don't care how hot and heavy the relationship is, the fire in the sexual arena is going to go low sooner or later. May not stay low, but it is ebbs and there's ups and downs, which means that if you just hot and heavy and hot for each other and that's all you got, well, when the fire is gone sexually, you don't got nothing to hold you together. So you best know that person. There's the emotional cover. My, my brothers and sisters, there has to be an emotional connection. You know what the difference is between loving somebody and being in love with somebody? Being in love with somebody, you keep the fire going. If I had a wood stove in here, as long as I put logs in the stove, the fire's going to burn. But the moment I quit putting logs in the stove, it's going to die. What happens in relationship, we quit doing what we started doing. And when you quit doing what you've been doing, you don't get the same results that you've been getting. There has to be where we give to one another, where we yield. And the reason why that is so hard, because whenever you give to the other person, there is a giving of your heart. There's a giving of yourself. The connection is that all of a sudden you begin to try to please the other person. 
Ephesians 21 says this. 521 says this. It's not just the wife submitting to the husband. It's the husband submitting to the wife. It starts off with husband. It says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Wait a minute. If you go down in the Greek, the word submission is not used anymore. The ideal of submission is used. In the English, they put it in so you know what they're talking about. Which means if it says, why submit to your own husband, it should also have been carried down. Husband, submit to your wife by loving them. It is meeting the need of the other person beyond your need. It is actually trying to please the other person. My brothers and sisters, that's what marriage is about. Paul goes back and says, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's like, matter of fact, Paul don't says this. The psalmist says this. In Psalms 128, he says, he says, he says, blessed is the man who feareth God and walks in his way. Psalms 128. He shall eat of the labor of his hands. I read that. I said, okay. He, he, he fears God. He does that in God's way. He is a farmer because eating of the labor of your hands reminds me of planting seeds. Seed planting. You plant apple seeds, you get apple trees. But wait a minute. You go down to the next verse, it says, and your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. The way that God has made the woman, the way God has made you all, y'all are responsible. Y'all respond to us. We initiate it, but y'all respond. Every man in here, one of the things that we have to do is we got to step up and initiate. We initiate the relationship. We initiate the spiritual. How how do we connect spiritually? You know, you still got to pray with them. And I know you don't feel comfortable praying with them. Because you think that they're going to judge you. But many wives I talk to say, if he would just pray. I'm not looking for a praying expert. I just want somebody that would open up their mouth and just say, dear Lord, if it's nothing more than, dear Lord, bless us. We need your help. They want somebody. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. My God, I'm a pastor. It's still hard to do Bible study with my wife. But guess what? We find a way of doing it. If it's nothing more than her reading it, asking me questions, I'm asking the questions. My God, it's not making it perfect. It's that you got a spiritual interest together and want to grow together. Wait a minute. But if he doesn't do it just right, ladies, don't put him down. Give him credit for the effort. Because practice makes perfect. Some fellas done quit doing it because. Okay, let's change gears. There has to be connections in relation. It's not that hard to say thank you. It's not that hard to say. Why should the single people listen to this? Because I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about your children. I'm not just talking about your your children. I'm talking about your grandchildren. 
because somebody got to teach them about relationship. This is not just talking about relationship between a man and a wife. It's talking about relationship in the church. Because if we don't take, if it starts at home, but it spreads abroad. And if we can't take care of that at home, how can we take our folks in the church? If we don't know how to act at home, we don't know how to act in the church. If we don't know how to get along at home, we don't know how to act, we don't know how to get along in the church. So guess what? This is teaching about relationship across the board. Why? Because we all are in this thing together. Let me run through this quickly. Let me run through this quickly. Let me run through this quickly. There are five languages of love. Gary Chapman writes a book, Five Languages of Love. After all my study and after my research, after my own experience, I realized that there was some truth to this. If I begin to talk Chinese or Russian, unless you knew Chinese or Russian, you wouldn't understand the thing I was saying. What we are looking for is for the other person to deposit into our spirit, into our emotions, into our mental intellect, something that goes ching-ching. Y'all know what ching-ching is? Ching is when change go into deposit. You make a deposit, ching-ching. Guess what? You can love a person in the wrong way and don't get no ching-ching. It's understanding how the other person needs to be loved. Example, one of the love languages is touch. I'm not talking about sexual touch now. I'm talking about touch of holding hands. I'm talking about touch of a hug. I'm talking about touch of, of cuddling. I'm talking about spending some time touching. Doesn't mean it has to lead to going to bed. But what it means is it makes the other person feel safe. And the act of touch, the language of touch, can be spoken by a man or a woman. We got some folks who don't want to be touched. But if your husband or your wife is a toucher, you best touch on them. It may not be your language. It may not go ching-ching for you. But if you want your marriage to be vibrant, don't y'all remember when you was dating? My God, y'all would sit so close together. Though you had two chairs, it looked like you had one chair. Don't you remember? You used to fall asleep on the phone. Wake up in the morning, good morning, slobber all over the phone because you've been asleep. Don't you remember? The conversation was so good that you went out to dinner and you didn't eat your food because you were too busy gazing in each other's eyes. And now you go out to eat. He's reading the paper. You looking at your food and nobody's saying nothing. What happened? You quit speaking each other love language. Words of affirmation. When the last time you gave a compliment to your spouse? When the last time you told her how good they look? When the last time you said something sweet in their ears? Y'all offer quiet up in here. That means that some folks ain't getting told. 
There's this young, sweet thing on your husband's job that's telling him how good he looks. There's this wolf for her job that's telling her how fine she is. Don't let nobody else swell up your spouse's head. Make sure when they leave out, their head is already as big as it can get. So that when somebody else come along, they say, I've been told that. Hey, that don't move me. If, if you have already done it, nobody else can move them at doing it. Words of affirmation. And some people need to be spoken. Did you know that the Bible speaks of that? Well, that don't, don't the Holy Spirit touch you sometimes? Don't you feel the Holy Ghost sometimes? If you don't, you better check yourself. Because sometimes I can barely stand it. God touches me sometimes. I be in my prayer room and the Holy Ghost will fall on me. And I know that God loves me because his hand of power has touched me. God will touch you sometimes. I believe God speaks our love language. The word of God gives you affirmation. After you washed in the blood of the Lamb, he don't call you no sinner no more. He calls you a saint. He tells you, I chosen you. I elected you. I picked you out. I washed you. I love you. On every room in my house is your picture. I have tattooed your image on my hand. God speaks love to us. And when somebody speaks love to you, it makes a, it brings about a change. I said, you act like you somebody. You walk with your head up because you said to yourself, somebody loves me. Somebody loves me. Oh, yes, they do. Don't you know God loves you? There is. There is gift giving. Don't mean no expensive gift, but some people need a car, need a trick it that you thought of me. It's the detail. Her one wife says, Oh, my husband do is just give me money. Just he said, ain't nothing wrong with the money, but no detail went into that. No thought went into that. Didn't cost him anything. Go to the store, buy me some, and give me money. That's what she said. Not bragging, just something that but the Lord taught me. The Lord told me, as much as you do your studying for your preaching, studying for your teaching, is that's how much I want you to put in trying to love your wife and being a father to your child. One of the things that I discipline myself to do is I buy somewhere, you can ask my wife, 90, 95% of her clothes. I pick it up. I go to the store. Even when she picks something out, she brings it to me and asks, is this okay? Somebody said to me, my wife is picky. I said, you don't know my wife, do you? <laughs> you understand? I don't pick what she likes. I don't just, she don't like what I pick. I pick what she likes. You understand? The other side of it. The first four years, I bring stuff home, and I had to take it back. Ha! 
Hold on. Did my feelings get hurt? Yeah. Did it feel good? No. But was I determined to find out what she liked? Until I could pick out, I knew her style. Now I help her style. After I learned her style, then I told her other styles that would fit with that style. But it took me four years to learn that. How bad do you want to know each other? How much are you willing to invest in the other? We're not even talking about emotion here. Because when the psalmist says, submit to one another in the fear of God, God says, you're not doing it for them ultimately, you're doing it for me. It's when you don't feel like it. See, if I tell Glenn, Glenn, I got some food back in my office, go back and eat, and he's hungry, he goes back to eat, and he wants to go back there and eat because he's hungry, that's no sacrifice. But I said, man, I need you to make a run for me. And he don't feel like it. He wants to hear the rest of the sermon. And he does it because I asked him to, because I have a need for him to do that. That's a sacrifice. And in marriage, there are sacrifice. It's when you don't feel like it, but you do it anyway. Hold on, hold on. I'm not talking about doing it with an attitude. I'm talking about doing it with a smile on your face. And you're doing it as though you're doing it for the Lord because the Lord been just that good to you. I mean, I'm talking about when they don't deserve it. I'm talking about when they don't say thank you. I'm talking about that you do your part, trusting God to do his part because this whole thing is really all about God. My brothers and sisters, marriage is about that because marriage ultimately isn't about you and me. It's about learning how to be like Christ. Iron sharpens iron. What you mean by that? That if you want to sharpen iron, you got to get some more iron. Still ain't tough enough to sharpen iron. And in marriage, there's some sharpening that goes on. It will make you Feel like cussing. Hold on. Don't raise your hand. Because some of us, you know I'm telling the truth. It done made you say some words. If walls could talk. Okay. Did we go through the five? I want to get through the five and we're going to go on home. Words of affirmation. Touch. Quality time. Fellas, when, 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 when was the last time your wife said, she knows you downtown, downstairs watching TV, and she said, what you doing? How many know she don't mean what you doing? What she means is, why are you down there? Why don't you come upstairs? I just want you to be in the room with me. I just want your accessibility. I just want you to just spend a little better. Just, just be here. We don't have to do nothing. Just right 
Let me lay my eyes on. Just know that you're. That's quality time. Go to the store with me. She can go by herself, but she wants you. It's not just for the ladies. It's for the wives. Some of y'all in church seven days a week. If you're not at church, you're someplace else. Helping everybody else. Taking care of everybody else. Nursing everybody else. When everybody's sick, you take care of everybody. And your husband is home all by him. Got a TV dinner in the microwave. Matter of fact, it's not even the microwave. It's still frozen in the refrigerator. I told y'all, y'all wouldn't like me today. It's when we move each other up on the front burner. And even if the other one don't respond, you do it because you're supposed to. There's many times I had to say to myself, I'm under obligation. My number one ministry is not you all. My, my number one ministry is my wife and my child. I cannot use you all as an excuse not to do for my family. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to find balance sometimes because y'all pull on me. Check my calendar sometime. Folks got problems all over the place. But I have to learn to say no because guess what? If I'm dead, Y'all going to find some other pastor. Y'all will forget my name. Say, you know that preacher, you know. Yeah, that's the one. Matter of fact, y'all call me Smith now sometimes anyway. But my wife and my child, my child don't have another dad. My wife don't have another husband. And guess what? It's not just me. It's you all. Fellas, it's okay to work overtime. I know she wants the big TV. But wait a minute, ladies. I got to talk to you for a moment. You can't have all the stuff and your husband too. You got to be okay with driving a Ford Fusion Instead of Alexis, you got to have a 19 inch instead of a 60 inch. Because the truth of the matter is, if he's working all the time to provide all the physical stuff, you ain't gonna have him. Why? Because he's trying to buy the stuff. There's some folks in the house that needs to downsize. But if you downsize, it will fix your marriage. Okay, y'all tired of me. 
y'all tired of me? I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where it talks about marriage. And if you read through there, Paul begins to say, wait a minute, y'all. This is a ministry. He says, and he actually even says to the single folks, he said, I wish you was like me. I wish that you could remain single. Because when you get married, you're distracted in your spiritual walk. Because now you got to take care and try to please the other one. He said, husband, now you got to try to please your wife. Wife, now you got to please your husband. And he said that your dedication and your service for the Lord is now interrupted. He said, I wish... You would like me, you know, you hear, you hear scholars say, well, Paul didn't like marriage. That's not true. Says, well, Paul didn't like women. That's not true. He's the one who wrote Ephesians chapter 5 that equated the marriage between the husband and the wife and like the love of Christ to the church. Matter of fact, he lifted it up to the highest level. There is no closer relationship. There is no closer relationship other than our love for Christ Jesus. He lifted it up to the highest level. So why is it that Paul was trying to say, wait a minute, remain where you're at. This is what I discovered. Read that verse, read chapter 7 a lot of times. But Paul was sitting on a seat of expectancy. He was expecting Christ to come at any moment. I said, wait a minute. He was expecting the rapture to happen in his day. Well, shocked this week. Listen to David Jeremiah, who is a preacher that is in his late 60s, early 70s, been diagnosed with cancer twice. God healed him. He's doing the book of Revelation, and this is the statement he made that made me stop what I was doing and said, huh? He said, I believe that Christ is coming in my lifetime. Now, hold on now. He's about 70 now, which means that he expects Christ to come within the next 15, 20 years was talking to a friend, and I was putting some dates in my calendar. You know, we were talking about death. I said, yeah, man, we all going to die sooner or later. He said, I don't think I'm going to die. I looked up at him. He said, because I believe Christ is going to come. Then I read in Paul's statement in chapter 7, there was an expectancy of Christ. I think that the problem in the church is we have lost our expectancy. We think that we got time. Who told you you got time? Who told you Christ ain't coming back tomorrow? Who told you that things gonna keep on going away? I, I, I think that Satan has secretly snuck into the church and we have been listening to the prosperity gospel that tries to make heaven on earth. Who told you that heaven is on earth? Who told you? I know we're coming back to earth, but before we come back, we got to get out of here. 
And I wonder today that if Christ came back today, can you say I'm ready? Uh-oh. 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 Listen to what I'm saying. We ought to live in such a way that if we knew when he was coming, we wouldn't have to change a thing. And I tell you what that would do for you. You would recognize that Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you. You can say in your singleness, I'm satisfied. You can say in a bad marriage, I'm satisfied. Not that you're satisfied with what's on the outside, but you're satisfied with your love affair with Jesus Christ. And he makes everything, he makes everything okay. Oh, y'all don't hear me. This thing isn't about whether your husband make you happy or your wife make you happy. This thing is, are you happy on the inside? Because you got Jesus. And no matter what state he finds you in, you're praising him. You're thanking him. You're working for him. You're working. You're serving him. You're praying. You're reading because he's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just sometimes, but Oh, he's coming. In your marriage, he's coming. Outside of your marriage, he's coming. In your singleness, he's coming. Every day, we ought to push a little bit closer. Don't get so bogged down in the earthly things that you forget. You got some spiritual things to take care of. Don't get so caught up in one another that you forget that all of us are falling. Folks will let you down, but I know somebody who sits high, who looks low, who won't let you down. You may not understand what you're going through, but he's good. Not just sometimes. He's good all the time. He's good. Taste. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord, did you hear me? Not Michael, not Joel, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good, not just sometimes, but all the time, all the time, all the time. What are you saying, preacher? This is what I'm saying. Before you connect with anybody else, make sure. Make very sure you're wrapped up, you're tangled up, that you messed up in Jesus Christ. Are you plugged in? There's power. There's Holy Ghost power. He will keep you. He will hold you. He will fix you. He will straighten you. He will. He will. He will. He will. He will. I don't know where you're at today. But I know that when you are in Christ Jesus, he's good. I know he'll walk you through every pain, every heartache. Give it to Jesus. Give it to him. 
Forgive folks. Don't let folks get on your last nerve. Don't let folks get that close to you. Oh, oh, you just don't know. Don't go to hell for nobody. Don't go to hell for nobody. Don't let nobody steal your joy. You need to claim back what the devil took from you. Get back your joy. Get back your peace. Get back your happiness. Claim back your children. The devil is a liar. And the truth is not in him. There's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power. Gotta lift our eyes and know that any day he can bust through those clouds. Then all the problems out here won't mean nothing. Somebody said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him why I know you won't. When we see him, and we see the nail-scarred hands, when we see him, and we see the thorn-scarred brow, when we see him and see what he did for us, we're going to fall at his feet and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know where you're at today, but I know that you need Jesus. Perhaps you've been out of the church and God is trying to get you back in the church. It's time. Perhaps you've been waiting till you fix yourself up. There is no fixing yourself up. Jesus got up with all power in his hands. He broke the power of Satan for you, but you got to be in Jesus. Today, God is calling you. No wise will he cast you out. His love is unconditional love, and he will love on you. Today, I got preachers that will pray with you, that will show you how to receive Jesus. You don't even have to even join this church. If there's another church you want to join, we'll send you to that church. But we want you to know Jesus for yourself. Today, every second.